This morning's Bible reading comes from 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 to 7. 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 to 7. And I'm reading from the NIV. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba, Tishba in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he, went, so he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Well, last Sunday, uh, Richard uh, Gordon, he shared with us, we had a, a service last Sunday night, and he shared with us a, uh, um, a really great sermon, actually. It was a fantastic sermon about taking the next step in faith. And it was a fantastic sermon because he, um, he actually challenged us to think about what's the next step that we are to take in terms of our faith. And we had seven people step forward that night uh, to, to explore baptism. How wonderful is that? Um, young people, but not just young people, just saying, yep, I want to step forward and be baptised. How great is that? How wonderful is that? Um, we are looking at having baptism services um, for the morning and the evening in the coming months. So if you're interested in taking a step for yourself, um, come and see myself or see Jeanette, um, and we'd love to chat to you about baptism. It's fantastic. If we're thinking about how healthy uh, Kilsyth South is as a church, we don't particularly want to think about how many seats are full. Um, and we look around and the seats are pretty full, especially when the kids are here. We don't want to think of that as our, as our health. We filled the church, but rather some of our key stats of saying, how many people became believers in Jesus? How many people were baptised? How many people became members and said, I want to set my roots here at Kilsyth South Baptist Church? They're the key stats that we want to think about as uh, we grow together as a church. It might also be, as we've gone through our blessed series, it might also be um, hearing the stories. One of the key things we might want to see as a church is hearing the stories about the way God is continuing to bless others through the church here at Kilsyth South. That might be some of our key stats as well. But God is good and God is using people in this church. God is prompting people in baptism, in stretching in faith, in heading out on mission. We have our young people heading out on mission um, at the end of this year and we'll hear all about that in time to come. It's exciting. God's doing some really great stuff in this church. And as we look for a youth pastor, we're excited by that space as well, what God's going to do. So now we enter into a new series, and, and for me, I, um, I, I wanted to explore uh, uh, something uh, from the Old Testament. I haven't really dived into the Old Testament yet. I wanted to do that, and um, so I thought about um, a, a, a man thinking about a man who wasn't, he was, he was an amazing man, Elijah. I don't, has anyone done much study on Elijah? Yeah, there's a few people that have done it. 
I love the story of Elijah and Elijah's life. And I wanted to think about, for us, flowing on from this blessed series, how God can use us to do the extraordinary. God can use ordinary people to do the extraordinary. And you might think, Elijah, well, Elijah wasn't ordinary. He's a, a prophet. He was a, a God-man. He was a, a man that was uh, seen with Moses and Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was that man. But as we'll see as we go through the journey of Elijah, we'll actually see that he had very, very real human tendencies. He'd have his mountaintop experiences, and then he'd be down in the depths of the valleys. That was Elijah. He was a very real person. He's got some great stories to tell of what, he, what, what God did through him in the world. But he was very real. And I think we'll be able to relate to him. If we look at the book of James in chapter 5, verse 17, James tells us that Elijah was a human just as we are. Elijah was just like us. So Elijah was both extraordinary and ordinary, and so I've called this series An Ordinary Man Used in Extraordinary Ways. Because the thing about Elijah is he would make these bold statements about God's action and then find himself running. Elijah thought of himself quite highly. Uh, he thought he was the only prophet in, in the, the rest of the, the sort of kingdom, yet there was a whole lot just hiding away. Elijah went through the mix of ups and downs and made him very, very human. He went through the highs and lows of this journey of faith. He hit roadblocks and he reached pinnacles. Elijah was very much a human just like us. So... To follow on from this blessed series, we're going to be thinking about how God uses the ordinary. And I don't say ordinary like, you know, just ordinary. I say, well, it's ordinary, not, not ordinary. It's ordinary. Does that, can you get the distinction between ordinaries? Two different words, in essence. <laughs> Use us as the ordinary to do extraordinary things for God. Let's pray. Loving God, we pray as we get into your word and into thinking about this man, Elijah into the Old Testament, how you've used him. May we gain some truths for our lives, how we can be uh, not just ordinary, but extraordinary through you. Uh, may the words speak clearly today. Amen. Now, before we get into the, the chapter uh, 17 of 1 Kings that we have before us this morning, we need to understand that the spiritual climate of Elijah's world. Elijah spoke into a world uh, of Israel at a time where Israel and Judah are split. If you don't know um, much about the history of Israel, it's worth doing a little bit of study about. During King Solomon's time, um, through King Solomon rule, the, the, the kingdom split in two. There was the northern kingdom, which was Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was Judah. Uh, it doesn't end too well for either kingdom uh, because the kings that came through those kingdoms were ultimately not great. There's a couple of good ones in Judah, but Israel, and this is who Elijah is speaking to, Israel's kings were all bad. They had 19 of them, and they're all not good kings. They had some issues. Um, they were considered wicked and did evil in the eyes of the Lord. You'll get that if you read through Kings. You'll get that all the time. That looked, uh, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so Elijah's call was into a world where the spiritual heritage of Israel had been broken. It was cracked. It was ripped apart. 
And there was evil king after evil king after evil king. And it started with the first king of the northern kingdom. Does anyone know who, who that was? Jer- Jerry? Oh, Jeroboam. Wonderful. Jeroboam. And 2 Kings uh, 17, 21 sums up this king in a nutshell. Jeroboam enticed Israel away from following the Lord and caused them to commit a great sin. It's not what you want on your uh, eulogy, is it? <laughs> of course. And what was that great sin? The great sin was actually leading people away from Yahweh, leading people away from God. That was the sin that he committed. And, and so not a great start to a new era of kings uh, that was meant to be following on from King David's footsteps. And King David had his own struggles, didn't he? But it doesn't get that much better after Jeroboam. You think, all right, maybe, maybe one bad one. Maybe we'll go into another one. Nabat, Jeroboam's son, he took over from his dad and he only lasted a couple of years. And the summation of his kingship was he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the ways of his father and committing the same sins his father had caused Israel to commit. Not great, is it? <laughs> Not a good sign for the kingdom. And you keep going for 19 kings of Israel. But the king that we find Elijah speaking to is Ahab. Ahab. And Ahab became king into this succession of uh, six evil kings before him. And each king was getting that a little bit worse than the other, as uh, we'll find out about Ahab in a minute. So Ahab, Ahab is categorized like this. He said, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. More evil. I mean, we've just heard about two, the first two, that weren't great. They led um, the Israelites away from Yahweh altogether. But then we've got this guy, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil. More evil. That's not great. He not, uh, it goes on in, in 1 Kings 16. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, so we heard about Jeroboam, but he also married Jezebel. Um, and I've cut a little bit out of this, daughter of Ethibal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than, than did all the kings of Israel before him. So he set up these shrines to false gods. He not only enticed people away from Yahweh, he set up false God's shrines. He did really bad. And to have that as your, uh, your final um, sort of summation, uh, did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. It's not great, is it? He's not, he's not the best king <laughs> uh, at all. So Ahab didn't just do bad, though. Ahab bought into or, or married into uh, a different culture, a different culture that bought... Um, his wife's gods, little g gods, into being as well, into the, into the uh, climate and culture of Israel. So it's not a great space for Israel at all, for this northern kingdom. Um, not great at all. And Ahab, he brought Baal into the worship of Israel, and Baal was considered the god of, the, of rain and fertility. That was, that was Baal, and Baal had authority over the seasons, over crops, uh, over the land, as, in essence. And so into this space steps this man Elijah. If there was a time to stand up and, and come against a ruler, it's, it's, someone needed to do it in this space. We have this Ahab, who was the worst of all of the kings, 
at this time. Someone needed to step up. And in, in, in comes Elijah. And we're introduced to Elijah as, as Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead. That's all we get of his backstory. We don't get any more of his story. We just get Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead. We don't know his parents. We don't know where he's come from. He seems to just randomly arrive on the scene. And I don't know about you, if I just rocked up here one day and came up on the stage and didn't know me from anything, and I said, I'm Pete from Springvale South in Victoria, it wouldn't mean much to you, would it? <laughs> good, good on you, Pete. Well done. That's, that's, that's really good. <laughs> but that's sort of what happened back then. They, they actually understood a little bit more about Elijah through his name and through the name of his town. Um, so first, his name. The Hebrew name for, for God is Elohim, or it's shortened to El. And the, the word Jah is for Jehovah. So if we, if we sort of add then a little pronoun in him, which means mine, Elijah's name actually becomes, my God is Jehovah, or the Lord is my God. That's Elijah's name. So people would have heard Elijah's name and, and understood his name a little bit. And it's significant thinking about the spiritual climate we've just talked about. We've got these kings that are, are taking people away from God, moving people away from Jehovah. And and then we have this man stepping in to proclaim just through his name that the Lord is my God. The Lord is my life. Something significant is happening from his name. He came from this town of Tishbe, and there is no real knowledge of this town. No one really knows where, he, where it is, but it tells us that it's in the region of Gilead. Now, Gilead was a, a rugged country. It wasn't, um, from what I've read, it was a, a rugged country. And it, was, it was likely that Elijah wasn't the smartly dressed lawyer type that would have come into the town um, with his suitcase and, or briefcase uh, and, and designer, designer clothes. It's not sort of the, the feel I get about Elijah and from my readings it hasn't been the feel of many people that he'd be that way. More so, he'd probably be more rough and ready, rugged, a rugged sort of fellow gives the indication that Elijah um, might have had that sort of demeanour, not to be one that is pushed around, perhaps set to take on the culture of the time. We can also see by the way he went about things that this is a man who knows what he believes and he knows that what he believes is right and of God. He's not scared, therefore, to do something about that. From the first verse that we introduced to him, we, we have him right up in the king's face. The evil king's face. This isn't a good king. This isn't a king that you sort of go, oh, I'd like to just go and get to know him. This is not a good king. And he's in his face. He was a man, although he came from a, a small, unknown town. We know nothing about his background. Elijah steps in to this climate and says something pretty profound to this king. He challenges Ahab. He says to him, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Wow. Imagine that. Imagine going up to your king and say, There's not going to be any rain uh, for the next few years except from when I say. But before we get to that little part, the very first part, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, is, is almost having a jab at King Ahab straight away. It's like, Ahab, it's like he's saying to Ahab, remember who you actually serve. Because I do. 
These false gods you seem to be creating and, and worshipping, they're not the true living God, because I serve the true and living God. I'm going to help you remember it just through my words. And I'm going to help you remember it because I'm going to make sure that, that I do something to help you remember who our God is. So if we remember what I said just a few moments ago about the Baal gods, the, the Baal, that they were about the rain and the seasons. They were God of the rain and the seasons. And, and so were, these were the gods who were meant to control rain, the seasons, the, the fertility of the soil and all that. Not some nobody prophet from some nobody town or nowhere town. Yet Elijah says, the Lord is my God, pronouncing authority over all of that. God is above all of that, over any false gods, over anything, full stop. There will be no rain unless I say, because my God has said that. You know, in an agricultural society, can you imagine, we've got droughts in the, uh, in, all through our country, and you can imagine what the extent of no rain is. Uh, we hear our farmers just struggling because of the lack of rain uh, in, the, in the outback areas. And so when you're deprived of rain, it's a nightmare for your society. It's like the GFC, the, the global financial crisis of, of ancient Israel. The whole livelihood of this area is at stake. There's a reality of famine, of crops not growing, of um, cattle dying, so haven't got anything to eat, no water to drink. There's a reality that it could be a total catastrophe. Yet this is the length that, God's goes, that God Yahweh goes to to get people to stand up and listen so the first principle we can take, thinking about this in Elijah's life, is that God's used this, this ordinary man of God, this person, to make an extraordinary claim, to speak boldly into the life of the tough issue of the day. God used Elijah to speak boldly. Elijah didn't come from Israel's school of prophets. He came from a place that no one knows about. He wasn't particularly prepared, we'll see in a little while. He wasn't particularly prepared to take on the role even, because we'll see what happens next. And I wondered, as I started preparing this, I wondered if it is possible that God could and will use those who are willing to make a bold stance in our world today. Is there a possibility that the, the strong sense of right versus wrong that sometimes that we feel that wells up inside of each of us at some time actually is part of what God's doing in and through us. That God's calling us to, to speak out when we have that welling up of injustice in us. Do you know what I mean by that? You get that sense that that's just not right. Something's not right about that. It might be when you see someone working against the, the spiritual and, and moral fabric of what you know makes me think of Jesus when he confronts uh, the, the money changers and the, um, the, the people selling doves in the, court, in the uh, temple courts. These people would have been doing that for a long time. And in essence, they were needed because people would have come in to, uh, to, to, to give their, um, uh, to give their, uh, sorry, their, their offering to the temple. 
People would have been there, they would have been there for a reason. They would have come from a long way and wouldn't have bought their offering. They would have had to get it when they get to the temple. And so it was important for those people to have it. But Jesus, he actually, in the moment, sees an injustice. He sees these people are actually taking more than they need to. These people are, are, are doing something that they're not meant to be doing, not selling, but, but actually uh, are abusing. They've become robbers. They're taking what they shouldn't have. And he says, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den for robbers. And he overturns the tables. Something cracked in Jesus to say, this is injustice. I've got to do something about it. I wonder if God has been or has in the past or is now laying something on your heart something heavy on your heart that you might want to speak out in the authority of God for. I wonder if you might be used by God in extraordinary ways because God's welling up something in your life, in your heart. I wonder, just like Elijah did, whether you'd be confident in who you are in Christ to speak out for some of those injustices. Elijah was used, this man speaking into an extraordinary situation, and he stopped the rain. But, there's always a but, isn't there? But, but, I have a question, and probably a question that we all have when we think about these sort of issues. Something wells up in me, and I go, I, I need to say something about an injustice I need to speak to that person about something that they're doing that is just not right. And then I go, but, but what if I've got it wrong? Or what if, I, what if I don't have the right words to say? Or what if I uh, try and make a stand and it all backfires? What if I haven't got it all worked out first? I've heard that being used a lot for, for baptism. I haven't got it all worked out, so I can't make a stand in this way. God doesn't say we need to have it all worked out at first. God says, respond. Respond to the welling of God in your life. Respond in a way that God is calling you to respond, and then we'll figure it out. Because that's what happens to Elijah. Look at verses 2 and 3. Elijah didn't have it all sorted out, because the word of the Lord came to Elijah in verse 3. He says, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. Elijah's gone out, made this big call to the king, and then he said, there's not going to be any rain. And in my mind, from then on, Elijah just should be in his face. There's no rain. Can you see the rain? The rain's not coming. You better, you better turn back to, to God, otherwise there's not going to be rain. Are you going to be on the phone every, every five minutes, send a text message to Ahab? Ahab, can you see any rain? No rain coming. Check the weather forecast, seven day. They're getting to 31 day forecast now. Still no rain. Uh, that would be my thought for, for Elijah. Stay in his face, Elijah. But not God's call. <laughs> God's, God's call is leave. Get out of there. Go and hide. Go and hide? Why? Surely it's better to stick around. You're bold at the start. Surely stick around. But God needed to teach Elijah so much more. God was still doing something in Elijah, and Elijah needed more preparation. Elijah needed more preparation for what is to come. And so God says, you need to go. Go hide yourself in the Kerith Ravine. And it's here at the Kerith Ravine 
we see God starting to shape and mould Elijah for the ministry that he's about to have. We see two principles that come forward as God shapes and moulds Elijah in this Kerith ravine. Two things that we can learn from it. First of all, we learn that God is a refining God. God refines us. So Elijah, after his big and bold entrance and statement to the king, ends up going into this Kerith ravine. He's hidden from the rest of the world. No one seems to be able to find him for years. Now, as we see, um, saw with Elijah's name, name is important. So Kerith means to cut down. That word means to cut down, like you would cut down a tree. It sort of gives us an indication of what the area might have been for, for Elijah. Elijah is taken to an isolated, hidden, lonely space, and you get the feeling that just from reading about what Kerith means, that God is going to cut Elijah down in some way. Sounds a little harsh. He's just made a big, bold statement for God, um, and now he's taking him away, hiding him, and he's about to cut him down. Yet God uses the times of pruning in our lives in order for our capacity to increase in fruitfulness for him. Jesus says this exact thing in John 15, speaking of the fruit and the vine. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. Fruit will grow on pruned trees. Our roses out the front of our house at the moment, I was having a look at them. Um, has anyone got roses growing at the moment? Do they grow in winter? I'm not a gardener. Do they grow in winter? We've got one solitary rose sort of there. I'm not sure it's meant to be there. I think it's a bit confused. Our, our rose sort of, I know you're meant to prune them and cut them back, and I might need some tips, but our rose bushes are sort of big with nothing on it, and they look a bit sad, and, um, and I know that we're meant to prune them so that when it comes to time where the roses actually grow, they'll grow well. That's not our rose bushes. We haven't done the pruning. We haven't done the cutting back so that it can grow and flourish more. And I'm a bit fearful that we might have left our run too late with our rose bushes. Um, maybe. No? Oh, that's good to know. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. Good. I'm glad for that. I'm glad for that. I thought I might have killed them for good. That's great. It's good to know. Good to know. We prune so that we can have more fruit. We're going to go home, Solari, and we're going to prune when it's a bit warmer. When it's a bit warmer. Um, so where am I? I'm great. I'm really happy. Hmm. Prune. So God's pruning. God's pruning. God's taking Elijah away to prune. And Elijah made this bold statement. He just told the most powerful man there was going to be a dry season um, until he says the word. And this isn't the end of Elijah's ministry. He's going to go do a whole lot more other things in the name of Yahweh. And it's really only the start of Elijah's ministry. So for God to continue to work in Elijah and for Elijah to continue to grow and be more fruitful, God has to prune a little bit. God engages him in a process of solitude and, a solid, and, and total dependence upon him. And God does it in a private space, that in order that when the pressure comes in the public space, Elijah is prepared. I wonder if you've ever had a, a, a Kerith River experience in your faith journey. A time where perhaps you've, you've been really on, 
on, on for God. You've just, you've just thought, God and I are real close, and you've done some, some stuff. You might have gone on mission. You might have done, uh, been baptized. You might have uh, had just this real sense of God's presence with you. You're in your scriptures all the time. And then you had that uncertainty, and you felt alone, and you felt, what next? And God takes you through a time of soul-searching and deep reflection. That's where Elijah got to. I remember before I went to Youth Dimension, this is going way, way back, and and studying. I was chatting with a friend. Uh, He was already studying there. I was leading a small group with him, actually. One of the things he said, uh, because each each Wednesday um, after he'd be at at Youth Dimension studying, he'd come back and we'd discuss uh, our small group. And he would say to me at the end of of the day, he'd say um, that he felt that God was taking him on a journey and tearing him to pieces only to put him back together again in the right way. What an interesting way of looking at it, that God was tearing him to pieces through his study, through his understanding of God, through his understanding how God was working in his life, tearing him down just to put him back together in a whole new, refined way. This guy is now the pastor of a large church up in Queensland and uh, doing all those things that years ago we've been talking about and dreaming about. Sometimes that refining process can be painful. Sometimes we can't see the purpose of it whilst we're in it. Yet we know that God uses those times, specifically those times, to increase our capacity to serve him more in even greater ways. So if you find yourself in a careth experience, remember God's refining you. It may be at times to feel a little painful, It may be at times a little confusing, but God is refining you that he may increase your capacity to serve him more. So the second thing we learn, God refines us. The second thing we can learn from Kareth is that God makes Elijah totally dependent upon him. God makes Elijah totally dependent upon him. Listen to the instruction from God to Elijah in verses 4 and 6. He says, You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. I don't know if you know about the raven. I had a picture on it just at the, the, the slide before. The raven. The raven is not, it's not an overly pretty bird. We were trying to work out what the difference between a crow and a raven is. If anyone knows, you can tell me later. I'm not too sure. Probably is something, probably something very specific, but it's not a pretty bird. I don't think it's a pretty bird. Does anyone think it's a pretty bird? Good, okay, I'm not the only one there. And, and so it's a big, scary-looking bird. It is. It's got the, the, the beak, and, and the raven is a scavenger. It's a scavenger. I've seen them sitting on bins, picking out the, you know the bins just slightly open? They pick out all the stuff, and in the morning, the rubbish is all over the ground. That happened on our street. Just the, other, the Possums and ravens, they both do the same thing. Um, but the scavenger... And it's a bird that uh, would be more interested in perching on the side of the, the rock, watching Elijah starting to shrivel because he's got no food, and then waiting for him to die so he can peck at his body. That would be more of what the raven would be like um, rather than the bird that God uses to come and bring him food. God uses that very bird to bring him bread and meat. In the midst of the season of no rain, God asks Elijah to drink from a brook. 
a brook that with each sip surely got smaller and smaller. What was God doing in this? <laughs> you know, God was teaching Elijah total dependence, absolute dependence. And if you can rely on me now, he says, in a time where there's no, uh, if you can rely on me where there's no outside pressures and noise, there's no Jezebel tearing down upon you, then you're going to be able to rely on me when there is. It was a refining process. It was a time of total dependence. Where's my meal going to come from? Don't worry. I've got these scary black ravens that want to eat your body, uh, giving you bread and food, bread and meat. Where am I going to get my water supply? Just drink out of the, out of the river. Don't worry about when it's going to dry up. I've got that under control. It's going to be okay. Trust me, even when you see the brook getting a little low. I wonder how you're going with trusting God through dry periods. There's a story of a single mum. She was a, a faithful mum. And she would pray every day very loudly in her apartment. And she would worship God and pray for God's provision. She lived next door to an atheist who hated hearing her prayers that she could hear through the paper-thin walls. The next-door neighbour would see her and say to her, You're crazy. There is no God. One month where the funds were running really low or had fully dried up, but the month had continued on. She started crying out for God to provide her with just the basic provisions for her, for her family, her children. The atheist next door heard her cries, and being sick of these cries of prayer, he went to the grocery store and bought several bags of food and brought it back to the woman's apartment. Sort of left it on the door, knocked on the door, and then ran back to his apartment to, to seek, speak, seek through and, and see what this lady has to say. She came out and saw the food and started praising God. God, you're so amazing. Your provision has come. You've answered my prayers. And the atheist stepped out the door and said, no, he didn't. That was me. I got that. That was no action of God. Yep, she worshipped all the more and she said, thank you, God. You provided for my needs and you made the devil pay for it. <laughs> How good is that? <laughs> Total dependency can be really hard. It can be really lonely. It can be a little bit scary. What's going to happen less? Next. But it's a lesson that takes you deeper into trust of God and a faith that God's going to stand beside you no matter what. Some of Solaria and my um, most uh, intimate times as family have been when we've just had to cry out, God, we don't know what, what's going to happen next. In the times where he's prompting you to reach out to someone in need, in the times where you've got the opportunity to share your story with someone, but you're uncertain what to say, the moments where God provided for you in the past are the moments that are going to remind you that God is with you now. God has always provided in the past, and he's going to provide for you, even if it doesn't come in the way that you're going to think. God uses everyone that loves him to do extraordinary things. So God refines us. God brings us to a total dependence upon himself in these careth moments, that we may be ordinary people that do extraordinary things. The next stage of Elijah's ministry was about to begin. Verse 7 says that the brook dries up because there was no rain. Makes sense. 
the command that Elijah set, surely it would have been good for Elijah at that stage to go, all right, rain, we, we need you. Maybe, maybe we can have some, some funneled rain to my, my little brook or something. But Elijah doesn't do that because it's not time. But because of his time of refining at Kerith, because of his time of total dependence upon God for provision, a dried up brook was no longer a fear or a concern. Rather, as we'll go on to next week, it meant that it was now time for him to move because God had prepared him. And Elijah moved on to be used uh, for uh, a family in need. And we'll talk about that next week. But for you this morning, I wonder where you are on your journey. I wonder if you're in a stage where God is calling you to make a bold statement. That might not be going to the Prime Minister and saying, we've got to do this. It might be a bold statement to a neighbour who you know is leading a life that is hurting themselves. It might be a bold statement to a colleague who treats another colleague badly. It might be a bold statement about who you are. I wonder if God's put something heavy on your heart. Be bold. God uses us, ordinary people, for extraordinary things. Or I wonder if you found yourself in the Kerith Ravine at the moment. I wonder if you feel that you're alone just sort of lapping at the water, watching the water level go down. You're just clinging on to the hope that God is there, but it's quite hard and it's lonely. God's providing, but what's next? Well, this morning I want you to hold on to hope that God is building faith in you at this time. He's refining you and and teaching you total dependence upon him. Even if you don't feel it right now. And so to conclude this morning, I'm going to pray. And I'll pray two prayers. I'm going to pray a prayer firstly for those of you feeling a sense of, of the welling of God within you to be bold in speaking against something. And I'm going to pray um, that, they, that God uses you to make the extraordinary happen. And then I'm going to pray for you who might be feeling that you're in the, the careth at the moment. Perhaps you're going through a time of breaking or being cut down. Perhaps you've not realised it, but as you've heard Elijah's story, it sort of started to resonate with you a little Perhaps you're going through the process of needing to faithfully depend upon God right at this moment. And perhaps this morning's a reminder that you've needed, that God is with you, that God provides for you. And then next week, we'll start to see how this bold, prepared prophet from a nowhere town of Tishba makes an impact on a widow who is just ready to die. Let's pray. So God, this morning we've heard of a bold but fallible man in Elijah who very much relates to everyday lives. A man who in action makes a bold step but still requires your refining hand and provision. So this morning I pray for all who are here who have a sense that they want to speak on your behalf into something that lays heavy on their heart. So God, I ask for boldness for them to speak in ways that stand up for which, that which impacts the kingdom of God. And God, for those who feel that they are in the Kerith Ravine at the moment, 
Perhaps they're feeling like they're being refined or just feeling that they need your provision and faith to rely on it. And I pray for those people. I pray that in this time they may have a sense of your presence, even though it may feel lonely and they may feel isolated. I pray for continued faithfulness for those of us here that need it right now. I pray for provision for those who are in need of it. And I pray that God will give each one of us a renewed sense of knowing that you are the one. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, we have the assurance of salvation. That we have the assurance that you are always and will always provide for us. And send us out to be bold stewards of this great message of hope that we have. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now, if there's anything that's resonated with you this morning that you would like to chat through, please come and see myself or um, maybe someone that you trust, a close friend. Um, we have Jeanette here as a, uh, one of our pastors here as well. We'd love to chat with you. Um, we have the prayer room afterwards as well. Uh, please feel free to go and we'd love to have people come and pray for you there as well. Thanks.